3: Hey
0: there Joystick Wagglers, we're about to reach the end of Series 1 of Games Master, and we're going to do a special Series 1 wrap-up episode talking about our favourite celebs, challenges, reviews, consultation zones, moments and many more. But we can't do it without you, so email in your favourite and least favourite moments from Series 1 of Games Master to feedback at underconsultation.com or tweet us at underconsolepod. You can send us an MP3 of your thoughts, or you can call 020-329. 902666 and leave a voicemail with your feedback. We'll be playing your thoughts on the show, so get in touch and you, that's right you, could be featured on our Series 1 wrap-up episode of Under Consultation. Or if you don't want your voice heard, put it down in words on an email or tweet and we'll read those out too. The only thing we ask is to tell us what your favourite bit of music from this era of gaming is. Right, on with the show. And welcome to Our Kingdom. This is Under Consultation, an episode by episode podcast guide through the UK's greatest video game challenge TV show, Games Master.
4: I am one of your hosts, full of muscle and hyperbole, Luke Owen. And I am Ash Versus, and I am always ready to thrust my way through all manner of underwater opposition.
0: This episode aired on the 18th of February 1992, and our number one film of the box office is The Father of the Bride. I used to think a wedding was a simple affair. Boy and girl meet, they fall in love, they say I do. I was wrong. That's getting married. A wedding is an entirely different proposition. You fathers will understand. You have an adorable little girl who looks up to you and adores you in a way you could never have imagined. Dad. I met a man in Rome, and we're getting married.
4: I'm sorry. What did you say?
1: I'm engaged. I'm getting married. <laughs>
4: right then, I realized my day had passed. Annie, it's a little nippy out. You might want to put on. Oh, a Dad, it's
0: okay. I'm kind of warm. So there's a chill in here, and you've been on a plane.
2: Dad, I'm fine.
0: Annie, it is kind of cold out. It is. Yeah.
2: All right. Thanks. I'll get my jacket. Right.
0: I was no longer the man in my little girl's life.
4: Suddenly, the Freddy Krueger movie doesn't feel so bad. Yeah. <laughs> I mean yeah. th- this film got fairly good reviews.
0: Mm, yeah, it did. Yeah. Well, it's it's, a, it's it's funny because like when you look back at it now the synopsis isn't all that nice, but I think critics at the time were just like, "Oh, but it's quite lovely though, really, because it's about a loving father and his daughter getting married. There's some nice sentiment behind it. It's Disney. I'm sure there's some
4: loveliness in there somewhere." Back then, this was a rom-com. Now, it's a potential storyline for Law & Order SVU. (laughs) Thing is, it wasn't an original film. It was a remake of a 1950 film which had much the same plot. Uh, Steve Martin played a guy called George Banks. He uh, was a businessman, a business owner. And he found out his daughter was getting married and basically got like super territorial and possessive. Yeah, it's a bit creepy. It's a lot creepy. Yeah. Eventually, he grew a heart. He learned to live and love his new son-in-law. And basically came to the realisation that as long as his daughter is happy, that he is happy. Oh Disney schmaltz, it's lovely. Good cast, is, though. No, it's a great cast. Um, Diane Keaton in there, Kieran Culkin. Uh, Martin Short. B.D. Wong. Yeah, from Jurassic Park. <laughs> yeah, man. It, his star was on the rise. <laughs> yeah. But someone whose star wasn't on the rise was Steve Martin. Yeah. Because this film, the critics were happy mostly. (laughs) The box office was happy, mostly. Mostly. It was happy enough that the inevitable sequel happened. Yeah, Father of the Bride 2. The critics did not like that. No. The box office also... I mean, it made money, because people remembered fondly the first pre-internet No Rotten Tomatoes rating. But what followed this for Steve Martin was another remake, Sergeant Bilko. Yeah, and it's weird like
0: looking at the films that he's got after this, the only one that really sticks out uh, uh, that I would recommend is Bowfinger. And Bowfinger's a great film. I really like Bowfinger. Um, And I would also go to bat for Looney Tunes Back in Action, uh, mostly for Brendan Fraser.
4: But I'd go to bat for that film for one scene only, and it's where a Dalek invasion Earth Dalek (laughs) from the Peter Cushing movies appears on screen. Uh, But there's not a lot of good stuff in in
0: Steve Martin's back catalogue, considering the height of fame that he'd had just a few years prior.
4: This was, I think, an era where a lot of comedians who had had a significant box office draw in the 1980s really started to struggle at the start of the new decade. Uh, comedy, I think, started to get a little more cynical, a little harder edged. If you look at what else was going on in the comedy world, the more cynical, aggressive, dark tone of comedy was taking an edge. People like Steve Martin, who were zany, they were wacky. Yeah. They weren't quite Gallagher, but they were zany and wacky. They were dropping down. Eddie Murphy, his uh, star started to decline around this time. We'd already had Beverly Hills Cop 2, I think. But was I think we had Beverly Hills Cop 3 by this point. And where was that later on? I think that was a bit later. But even Beverly Hills Cop 3, I've got a soft spot for those movies. But 3 is always literally the last one I'll watch. <laughs> yeah. The only one I can think of that really survived relatively undamaged throughout the 90s is Bill Murray. Yeah. I would say so, because he never really had to change his style. He was always dry. He was always pithy. Uh, Chevy Chase also struggled that's a fair amount. He was an asshole. Well, <laughs> performance-wise, he struggled. Yeah, okay. Personality-wise, <laughs> that's someone else's podcast. Yeah. <laughs> it is funny,
0: though, that you said that it was the zany style of comedy that was falling down, and yet two years later, in fact, I think one year later, we're going to get the rise of Jim Carrey, who has like back-to-back hits with The Mask, Dumb and Dumber, and Ace Ventura, where he is doing zany wacky performances
4: but even then if we leave aside some of the big issues with that first ace ventura movie it gets overtly transphobic in that last final third literally we are on sleepaway camp levels of transphobia (laughs) but jim carrey if you look at the mask the mask quite a dark comic and while it was made much more accessible and acceptable for the film. He was still a maniac. Like, Mm. the character of the mask was still a maniac. Ace Ventura, leaving aside all the problems, was also kind of a sociopath. Yeah. Cable guy. Yeah, totally. Totally, yeah. The darker edge is still there. It was just a different kind of zany. It was more mean-spirited.
0: Uh, well, as one would probably expect, our number one song in the UK charts is still Wet 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 Goodnight Girl. It's
4: the final week though. Hooray!
0: <laughs> get a belter next week.
4: Oh my god, we get a we get a cracker next week. I look forward to talking about that one. As regards Wet Wet Wet, about the only thing I can say is I'm glad this is the wet, wet, wet song that we had to go through and <laughs> yeah. not Four Weddings and a Funeral. We missed that one due to a season break. Yeah, Because it was when I was trying to find something to say about this song. I'm just like, oh man, when does Four Weddings hit? Does it hit in a season break? <laughs> I I, I kissed the ground when I read that we missed that entire like 14, 15 week run at the top of the charts. Uh, but there were no big games released. So what was going on in the magazines at the time? Well, in the magazines at the time, There was some news, some of it we've already covered in previous episodes, but one of the interesting little side columns they had was talk of a new television show that had just begun airing. Apparently it was called Games Master. Really? And this uh, little new snippet appeared in CVG, where they did say, not only will you see such names as John Fashnu, again, Awuga, Awuga, but also a whole host of CVG bots doing their thang oh thing is i'm not just quoting them on thang i'm quoting them on the air quotes <laughs> the word thang <laughs> appears in air quotes apparently future episodes will feature such big names as boxer gary mason tennis girly ugh, annabelle croft and snooker star jimmy white yeah this is the episode we've literally just covered there we go each will be playing games based upon their own sports Hard to guess what Jimmy will be playing, eh? And I'm like, well, clearly you were paying attention during the filming because realistically he was there to click one mouse button and was actually just commentating <laughs> the rest of the time. Shoddy journalism again. Shoddy, shoddy Shoddy, shoddy, shoddy. Shame on you. And they point out, it's the first time a real computer and video games tele show has been screened. But what do you think of it? Why not write to Yob and give him your thoughts?
0: Oh, I hope
4: people do. I look forward to that because do you remember Yob? Do I remember? Do I, do, I don't know if I remember. Yob, Yob was the letters page, but it wasn't just a case of oh, write letters to us and we'll answer. Yob was kind of a character or a persona. Oh, so it's just
0: like the 2000 AD. Like you would have like, and and Sonic the Comic uh, also had uh, megadroids to sort of like answer questions.
4: Yeah, this was essentially it's a very
0: British thing to do.
4: This was a facade for people to hide behind and be snarky. Something that maybe I'll post online will be some of these various comments and like responses and letters and little snippets of stuff that's going around because they're hiding behind a fictional character they just get to be really bitchy really mean Megadroid was just being all friendly and nice these guys they're being assholes because they know they can get away with it Megadroid would get his snark in
0: though if Megadroid felt there was some snark to be had he would deliver that snark but
4: would he be actually mean
0: I I think he could be mean on occasions. Not as mean as some of the uh, ones in magazines, like... Because it was a kid's, you know... A yeah, kid's the, it was comic a comic. Yeah. It wasn't
4: a magazine. Another little snippet that caught my eye, purely because it's odd in its tone, is a little column inch on Birds of Prey, a game from developer Argonaut Software. Oh, that comes up in next week's episodes. It'll be interesting to see what they have to say about it, because this is a full-on dump on the game. Whoa! The headline is Turkeys of Prey. Oh, well, I mean, that that
0: was a good 10 minutes worth of (laughs) work there.
4: (laughs) The article reads, It's egg on your face time for Argonaut Software. The programming team fronted by Jez San, who created the incredible Starglider 2, amongst other things. I remember playing a fair bit of Argonaut Software. Mm -hmm. But it says their long-awaited super sim, Birds of Prey, has arrived at last. And it's a bit of a sad case. This isn't a review... This doesn't make it to the review section. This is just dumping on the game yeah. in the news. And they say, oh, well, yeah, it's got 40 planes, but the flight control panel is the same for each one. Very realistic, huh? Oh, seems a bit harsh. Okay, there's no ground objects. There's a couple of hills. That's about it. The most disappointing thing is the outrageously slow update speed, making the game a chore instead of a joy to play. Considering it has been in production for around four years, it's not unfair to say that the finished article is a bit of a disappointment. So don't say you weren't warned. Wow! Now, of the two, you had CVG and you had Mean Machines. I always thought CVG was slightly friendlier. Mean Machines was mean machines. Mm-hmm. This piece, someone got someone at Argonaut really upset. CVG, maybe they didn't get a review copy. Maybe they were refused because they gave a previous Argonaut game a bad score. Yeah. This is a real assassination piece. Now, it's not a headline. They haven't led the news section with it. But the fact that someone went to the effort of writing that, and of course, it's not signed. Mm. No one has put their name to this. Oh, that was going to be the next question, actually. No. It just stuck out to me. It stuck out as an odd thing to have. Some of the stuff we've covered is definitely slow news month. Yeah. I don't know why this is in the news section at all. Save it and do a late review. Do a mini review. It'll be interesting to see when we do get to the game if there is anyone from CVG on hand to review it. I can't remember that off the top of my head. And, you know, it would would be interesting to see who does review it, where they're from, and what they think of it. Well, that's a little tease to make sure you listen to next week's episode now. If you're seven episodes in and you haven't abandoned us yet, (laughs) firstly, thanks. (laughs) Secondly, you're in for the haul. Good luck on season three. Yes, it's Games Master time again, the one time of the week when you can forget all about the
3: hassles of the firm EQ and get soft and moist about the things that matter in life freshly laundered towels, hot Ribena, and video games. We've got our usual liquor and sauce on of a show for you tonight, with news tips, reviews, and free game playing challenges.
0: Let's dive into the episode itself, forget about the hassles and the firm EQ, and get soft and moist about the things that matter in life, like freshly washed towels, hot Ribena, and video games.
4: I'm so on board with (laughs) all three of these things. Warm Ribena, I don't drink it now, but when I was a kid, that was a special night. I've never had warm Ribena. For me, it was a way of like getting the powdered aspirin down because right. it was slightly better than Lemsips or the hot blackcurrant version of Lemsips or oh, whatever. I like, I like a Lemsip. I like a Lemsip now. As a kid, I'm not sure I did.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah. Fair point. Yeah. Maybe good point. I'm pretty sure Ribena was a banned substance in our household. Too much sugar in it. My mum was a nurse. So like very, very strict on what foods actually got in and out of our house.
4: Amazing thing with my mum, hated Coca Cola. It'll rot your teeth, it'll rot your teeth, it'll rot your teeth. Ribena, <laughs> gallons of it. Get these sugar of puffs down, yeah. Cereals were still actually quite conservative. I used to have a real fight when I was younger to try and get the ones with the really good toys because back in those days, you did get good toys. Oh, absolutely. And nowadays, I look at the giveaways and I'm like, a book? <laughs> you get those from the library, you want plastic tat. Don't miss your free Simpson Spokey Dokies from Kellogg's. They look great on your bike or on paper.
0: Five to collect, free, only inside special packs of Kellogg's Corn Flakes.
4: But yes, absolutely on board with the hot Wibena, also fluffy towels. Something yes. you really didn't appreciate as a kid, but as an adult, I'm watching this now going, you're a good man, Dominic. You know what's good in life it's the equivalent of conan tell us what is best in life (laughs) to crush your enemies to steal their fluffy towels to guzzle their hot ribena well something i really do like is what dominic
0: diamond describes this show as which is a licorice all sorts of a show now i am into my licorice all sorts
4: i am into my licorice all sorts as well beady
0: ones they're the best ones
4: I would agree. Although, when I was a kid, I used to love getting the sandwich ones and stacking them.
0: Yes, yes. Lovely stuff. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the fantastic. little
4: beady ones, the little licorice with the little baubles mm. on the outside. Oh, fantastic. I want licorice all sorts now. <laughs> we should have got some. Future episode. Maybe maybe when we get to the end of episode 10, we'll treat ourselves to we'll a nice a little bag. party. We'll have a little party.
0: <laughs> we'll have some jelly sandwiches and everything. Oh,
4: <laughs> salt and vinegar crisps. Oh, well, if you're going to. Oh, actually, little frosted gems. Little frosted gems. Oh, Pickled your monster munch. <laughs> Staple of birthday parties. <laughs> but before we get to that,
0: we're going to head on over to the man who put the M in microchip. It's the Games Master with our first
2: challenge. Welcome. So you returned once more to pitch your skills against one of my little challenges. I must commend your adesley. The first of this week's jolly jaunts is on a fishy little game called Robocod. To satisfy me, you will need to get through the very first level in less than one minute, collecting 50,000 points in the process. You can amass these points by collecting bonus items from around the level and by jumping on villains. A little tip. Don't forget to use the hydraulic stretch body, which will enable you to get past spikes unharmed when there's not sufficient room to jump. 50,000 points in one minute. Seize the moment. Right. Right. Let's be honest, Robocod
0: is a good pun.
4: Robocod as a pun and as a design, I think is better than the game. <laughs> well, yes, quite. But The game did actually get pretty good reviews on oh, the Megatron. Great drive, reviews, yeah. But I'm watching them play it now, and I'm. We'll, we'll get to that. But yeah. I have some issues with this game that I can tell you just by watching someone play it.
0: Yeah, it's wonderfully British. Like, you just look at the aesthetic of it, and you're
4: like, that was made by a British team. It's funny you should say that because, in the UK at least, the original version of it had in game product placement. Yes, for penguin biscuits. <laughs> it had McVitie's money all over it. And you feel a little bit peckish, puff of a peek a penguin. And it wasn't just a little bit of a marketing ploy, it genuinely seemed to work as advertising because it was the first time the penguin overtook the Kit Kat
1: Mm. as the top
4: kind of chocolate biscuit combination. McVitie's won that race against Nestle. It's a good biscuit, though. I like the Penguin. I always preferred a lot of chocolate on my biscuit.
2: If you like a lot of
4: chocolate on your biscuit, join our club. Uh, Oh, you want to join the club? I was was in the club. I was in the orange club, particularly. (laughs) I liked an orange club. I'm a mint club kind of man, actually. Was that in the fruit one? Uh, the fruit one was one again, as an adult, I appreciate more now. But that's also because as an adult, I appreciate fruit and nut chocolate more now.
0: Mm, yeah. yorkie fruit and nuts. Or oh, I'm a dairy milk kind of guy. I didn't think we'd be talking this
4: much about chocolate bars. <laughs> Are internet. we hungry? Do we need to take a recording <laughs> break and nip to the corner shop?
0: Uh, Games Master calls this a fishy little game. The challenge is to get through the
4: first level in under a minute and get 50,000 points. Which is not easy. It's not easy, particularly as we soon find out that these kids are recruited from the crowd. So even if they're plants, they're probably not going to have been that familiar with the game before today, unless they were Mega Drive owners or Amiga owners.
0: Yeah, because I think they're playing the Amiga version of this. Dominic Diamond picks out a lad and two girls who were sat next to each other. Lad is dressed in a lovely little waistcoat. Mark Wright,
4: rock legend. Rock legend. Because here's the thing. First when I saw him, I'm like, oh, that's cute. He's cosplaying as Dominic Diamond. Because they were like, it was like, I shall call him mini me. But then when he turns around, he's got proto mullet going on. Yep. When he's of legal drinking age, it's going to be all party at the back. He could tour with Pink Floyd because in a couple of years time, Rick Wright was on tour with that exact same look and he was awesome. In fact, Wright. Ooh, did Rick Wright have a son? I know he had a daughter.
1: Hmm.
4: I could research this, or we could just leave it as hearsay.
3: Lovely. Who have we got here? Mark Wright. Mark Wright, rock legend. Okay, and next we have? Julie Marlowe. Welcome to Games Master Julie. And finally? Clint Kleene. Okay then, Claire, I think we're going to have you playing first, okay? So if you'd like to trot up to our game playing seat. Now, Mark and Julie, if you'd like to go over to the organ and turn your backs to us so you don't see what's happening when Claire's playing, if you'd like to sit there, and we'll come to your turn in due course.
0: Well, our other contestants are Julie Marlowe and Claire Keeney. Uh, Claire is up first, and the other two have got to turn their backs so they don't cheat, which I thought was adorable.
4: <laughs> that was wonderful. Because they, they, not only did they say you two go over there, but Dominic explicitly explained, you've got to go and stare at my organ while the game <laughs> yeah. challenge is going on. Yeah, diamondism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs>
0: It made me think of like playing these sorts of games when I was a kid being like, right, we're going to do challenges, but you have got to not look because I might do something very different to get my points.
4: It was kind of also the difficulty yeah, of of doing multiplayer games where it's like, don't look at my half of the screen. (laughs) Goldeneye, we'll get to that one a few years down the line, but. Yeah, It is weird how, like, now that TVs are massive, all games are just
0: played solo and you play online. Like, finally, you could play Goldeneye and you would have probably the same size of the TV you
4: had I had when I was a
0: kid in your own quarter.
4: Yeah, you, you would all be looking the equivalent of, like, a decent 17 to 18 inch television. And I think as we've grown older, we're still playing Mario Kart, we're still playing Goldeneye or derivatives thereof. And that whole, you're looking at my screen thing has kind of dropped by the wayside. And I don't know if we're just more honest or we just all expect everyone is doing it.
2: <laughs> yeah.
4: And
3: keeping me warm and toasty in the pro pit is Games Master's resident boffin, Dave Perry. Dave, welcome. I Hi, Dominic. Now, Dave, it's very tough. There's 50,000 points in 60 seconds. What's the best tip you can give them? Uh, well, the thing is just to get used to the controls. He's uh, got a telescopic
2: body in this one, um, which you can activate through the fire button. And when you're jumping on top of the bad guys, you've got to remember to pull down on the joystick so he disappears inside his armor.
0: Dave Perry's in the commentary box to keep Dominic Diamond nice, warm and toasty. Perry says that you need to get used to the controlled, uh, and which is tough when it's only sixty seconds. Like if you just picked up the controller, it's like, now get used to the controlled. Oh, and also
4: get through this level in minutes and get fifty thousand points. It's worth pointing out, Dave is still not in his final form. He's still not quite a bit of an animal. He's just Dave Perry. He's quite encouraging
0: in this. You can hear him shouting, being like, press the fire button, that's it, just press the fire button there, a little bit harder.
4: He offers legitimate gaming advice and encouragement rather than snark. Clearly not the final form (laughs) of Dave the Animal Perry.
3: Not a journalist, I'm a marketing manager.
0: The final form of Dave the Game's Animal Perry would have been all over these kids because poor old Claire jumps straight into the spikes over and over and over again, struggles to get the arms working, falls into more spikes and dies.
4: Yep, she succumbs to the spiky death halfway through the allotted time and far from halfway on the points.
0: Interestingly, when Mark gets up to play next, Dominic Diamond says, what can Mark learn from
4: Claire's performance? And I was like, nothing, he wasn't looking. <laughs> <laughs> That's a really good point. I hadn't picked up on that. It's like, if, if we assume that Mark was cheating, yeah. <laughs> what can we learn from that? Because you know what? I actually don't think, if they'd just watched the screen and seen what she was doing, Probably wouldn't have helped because, again, it comes down to mastering the controls. And this game is very slippery. Very slippery. It is skiddy all over the place. I guess appropriate for something that is fish-based. But also, I think the collision detection is way wonky. Something we'll see is when they encounter the kind of exclamation mark boxes. Because yeah. this is definitely not a Mario rip-off. <laughs> no, not at all. There was a time when when Julie's playing, when she's trying to jump and hit the boxes, she's clipping straight through them. Yeah. Because the hitbox for that exclamation box is so small, so narrow, she doesn't
0: stand a chance. And it's interesting as well, when we get to Julie's turn, she hits those boxes and instantly thinks that she's going to get the prize that's come out of it, as opposed to hit the box and then also jump again to get the prize.
4: But unlike Mario, you can actually jump through the box. Mm. Whereas Mario, you hit that box and you've got to then either wait for it to drop down to you, which most mushrooms and stuff did, or you've got to jump up onto the box and over. Yeah.
0: But if it's just a coin, you just jump up and hit it and you get the yeah. coin out automatically. Uh, but before we get to that, we've got to get through Mark. Um, and he also struggles to get the arms working. This is where you can hear Dave do his lovely little bit of encouragement. He's
3: like... Also use that ...telescopic body right. but you've got to get across there. Fire button. Fire button, Mark. That's it. Hang on. Okay, now he's Just he press the
0: fire button there. Hit the fire button there, Mark. Just press it a little bit harder, mate. What happened to him? <laughs> who hurt him? Well, I can tell you who hurt Mark. It's that snake that he runs into and he dies. Oh, the deadly asp.
4: Yes, it was. uh It was a, a swift finish. Halfway through the time, halfway through the points, but for him, the challenge was over. It was at this point I realised that no one was going to complete this challenge. They didn't stand a chance. If if it had been a standard challenge where, and here we introduce three people from the back of the room that have been playing it all day, we might have had a different story. But for this one, they were all struggling with the timing of the jumps. They were all struggling with the skitty controls. They were all struggling with the extendable arms. Yeah. I say that. Oh no, Julie, mate. Julie, I, I, I correct myself. Julie... Still jumped onto the spikes first, which mm-hmm. they all did. Yep. But stopped, looked, thought once. Thought twice. Extendable arms. Shimmed straight across. She was great. She was green beret material. She shimmed like the best of them. It just sucks then that when she gets to the question
0: mark boxes that she can't hit them for anything.
3: So hit a few of these, okay. To okay, jump. jump up, jump up and hit them. That's it. A bit harder. That's it. Get that penguin. Oh, and then she's That's over it. half again. So We've got 20 seconds left. She's, she's going to to the next very, one. Very, very quick. She oh, she's Giri. she's Giri. only got 15 seconds oh, Giri. left. Giri.
4: I don't blame her. I don't blame her. No, I'm not blaming her. Yeah, no. Most other platformer games, she'd have nailed those right off. And she just spent a lot of time going backwards and forwards. She wasted a lot of time there, but she made up for it. She got the highest score of any of them. She did. She just got about 30,000 points. And then literally, literally as the clock clicked to zero, she got hit by another snake. Yeah. And game over. And I felt so bad for her because she's the one who
0: gets interviewed after because because, you know, you did the best, you got the furthest in the level and you survived the longest and you got the most amount of points. And she just says,
3: you got the closest out of all three of our competitors. Dave and I thought you were going to do it. Just a little bit of trouble near the end. They were a snake, I think. Yeah, it was a bit
0: hard for me. The game was a bit hard for me.
4: She was the youngest as well, by a good
0: few years. Oh, it was adorable. That was a
4: really tough challenge. The time limit was harsh, and getting the points was really hard as well. Absolutely, and it made the game look tough. Unfortunately, it didn't make the challenges look the best, because all of them just kept running straight onto the spikes. No matter how far they made it, all of them just immediately lost energy. Whilst I'm critical of the game's hitboxes and controls now... It made the game look appealing because there were some interesting game mechanics there. The telescopic body, the shimmying, the whole... Uh, you didn't just jump to crush your enemies. You had to jump and hold, hold down, down. yeah, Which is also a Mario tactic, but not one that kind of came in until later.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm more
4: like familiar with that from Castle Illusion than the Asterix game for the uh, Master System. With the James Pond franchise... It was an original IP, but no one would accuse the games of having an actual original idea. Yeah. It cherry-picked from a lot of other franchises, and it did produce something that was entertaining, was reviewed well, and sold well. But it is not the sum of its parts. It is not remembered as fondly as Mario, as Castle of Illusion, as Sonic, as any of the games it sought to imitate. But it did give us a great pun with Robocod, and a great piece of artwork of a fish in a Robocop suit. I will never forget that name it's that good <laughs> it always sticks in my head whenever i go to retro game fairs the name will leap out of rows of boxes of mega drive games or amiga games or whatever the else the hell platform games and i don't know maybe james pond will see a return maybe no he won't no no absolutely not <laughs> our theme this week
3: is adventure games First off, claustrophobic caverns crawling with creepies swamped the Nintendo in The Immortal. The Immortal is actually um, a very good game in its original incarnation. It still is a good game and it has worked really quite well on the NES.
2: I do like the
3: adventure, the adventure role-playing games. This is certainly the best of its type on the Nintendo system. I think they've done a very good job of it, bearing in mind the limitations of the hardware. I mean, you know, you don't expect sort of multi-color graphics, but they work well and it's a good game.
0: Well, let's head into our review section, which is Adventure Games this week. We've got Amava Lopez from Zero Magazine, along with David Wilson from Zero Magazine, and Stephen Carsey, who is clearly from
4: the audience. We get quite a few people in from Zero Magazine during this first season and it's a magazine that I've looked at the scans of. We haven't utilised much yet. Mm. In fact, who knows if any of their stuff has made the edit. It's not a magazine I remember at the time, and in fact, I don't remember these people being in the review sections at all. No, but it was nice to have a woman there for a change. We do see, as this series draws to a close, we get more women in the review section, we get more women in the challenges, and it is nice to see. It actually feels amazingly progressive for a show... That did focus so much on male genitalia for its humor. <laughs> Well, our first game is The Immortal for the
0: NES, which gets a a really good 80%. It was originally an Apple II game that was ported to the Amiga and the Atari ST, NES and the Mega Drive. Arma really likes it. She says that it's a good port. Steven thinks it's uh, THE adventure game for the NES. And Dave says that it
4: pushes the limitations of the hardware and it's a good game. And actually, I mean, I watched a playthrough of it. It looks great. I like that they like this game because it really was pushing the NES to its limits. I did feel they were a little bit condescending because they were like it's a good game especially for the NES." yeah there was a little bit of platform snobbery there because they were like oh you're over here with your NES and your two buttons <laughs> we're over here with our amigas and our pcs look at all these keys do you know what this is it's a mouse no of course you wouldn't know you've got a two button controller <laughs> they weren't quite that harsh but i did get a feeling a bit of a platform snobbery not quite as bad as the master system But we'll get to that. We'll get to that, yeah.
3: Next up on the PC, LeChuck's back, and this time he's irate as everybody's favourite pirate returns in The Secret of Monkey Island 2. The playability, it can't be beaten, in my opinion. There is a lot of amusing text in there, and it's a very, very strong title indeed. It's funny, it sets a nice level of challenge, and it's very addictive. It's brilliant. This game is so brilliant that i want to run away with it and marry it tell you what
0: though that platform snobbery is going to come into effect here because we've got monkey island 2 for the pc i mean it was like we had in episode one we had indiana jones and the Fate of atlantis which we were like that's never going to get a bad score because it's an incredible game as soon as like as soon as you see as soon as you see monkey island 2 being reviewed you're like oh this is getting a big big score
4: monkey island as is a series amazing Monkey Island 2, I would argue, is the best of the series. It's so good. In any iteration. We're talking about the original PC version here. There was an Amiga version. There were, I think, some console versions.
0: Yeah, they would re release it. They did like a big remastered version of it with voice acting. And it's still very funny as well. So good.
4: LucasArts excelled at making games that were engaging, that were funny, that were story-driven and that had puzzles that would literally make you tear your <laughs> goddamn hair out. What the hell am I doing with a chicken with a pulley on it? Well, Stephen says as much he says, the playability
0: can't be beaten with lots of amusing text. Dave says it's funny and challenging, very addictive. But my favourite review uh, comes from Amavar, who says that she loves it so much, she wants
4: to run away with it and marry it. <laughs> yeah, 94% on the reviews. And a marriage proposal. (laughs) Are we going to get better than that this season, let alone this entire goddamn show? Good day for Monkey Island too. And
3: finally, on the master system, a caper a la Dungeons & Dragons, Heroes of the Lance. A good role-playing title, good, very sound graphically, a little lacking in the sound. I prefer something that's a bit more straightforward and did find that Heroes of the Lance was really quite a specialist game. Frankly, it's it's a bit slow and... uh, It might not have a a mass market appeal.
0: Not so good for Heroes of the Lance for the Master System, uh, which is an advanced Dungeons & Dragons game. It's based on the Dragonlance campaign module, uh, Dragons of Despair. Um, They say it's good for a role-playing game, but it lacks in sound. Amaral says that she'd be rather playing something simpler, more of a specialist game.
4: I will give the Master System some credit here. It actually looks pretty good. It looks nice. It looks steps above what the Master System we'd seen in previous episodes and above what the NES could offer. There was no excuse for the sound. This was game and watch level sound. This was beep beep, 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 Yeah. It wasn't great. And yeah, the poor master system. It's truly the redheaded stepchild of this era of games master.
3: <laughs> okay, now for our new game section. One of this year's hottest games will undoubtedly be Alien 3. Here to give us a wee peek is Joe Bonner from Pro Software. Alien 3 is a game based on what must be this year's most eagerly awaited film, Alien 3. You have to go round the complex um, dodging aliens that come at you from out of the floor, out of the ceiling, from behind doors, all over the place. An utter infestation of aliens. Once you've managed to get past them, you actually rescue the prisoners and they bow your knees in thanks. There are 15 levels like this, all with different graphics. and there is a big monster in each one for you to dispatch.
0: Let's talk about something that is good, because we've got a new game feature, and it is Alien 3 for the Mega Drive, which is a Brilliant
4: game Wow You dropped the first F-bomb of the episode And it's deserved Although I will say They say that this is the game Of the most anticipated movie of the year Oh Be prepared for disappointment Because this game is better than the movie Or at the very least Has at least 5,000% more aliens in it Than yes. Alien 3 Alien 3 doesn't even technically have three aliens in it It has two at a push If you consider the life cycle to be one continuous thing Yeah I love this game so, so, so much In fact, the only
0: complaint I have about Alien 3 for the Mega Drive is that the title of the game is not on the spine of the box, just the arena logo is. It's weird. Isn't it just? It's really annoying because then when I'm looking at my shelf of Mega Drive games, which are in alphabetical order,
4: there's just a really weird empty box there that's right at the start. And... You, don't, you could post it, note it, or you could like add your own Dymo label, but then unless you're very
0: good, it's going to look weird. Yeah, yeah, totally. Mm. Such a good game, though. It's action-packed. The music is amazing. It's one of my favorite Mega Drive games.
4: I went back and played this game a year or so ago. I played it under emulation on my 3DS because I'd modded my 3DS. And I had been playing a lot of Mega Drive games and picking up and going, oh, yeah, that was fun, and then going on to the next one. Mm-hmm. As happens a lot with emulation. This one, I'm like, save state. I'm coming back to this. <laughs> yeah. This game's tough as well. Oh, it's hard. Yeah, It's a hard game. I'm glad I had save states because yeah. I can't imagine completing this easily. No, because without...
0: you, you need to know the route. It because, is Metroidvania. Yeah. It is that style of game. Because you've got a time limit per level and you've got a certain amount of people you need to rescue. So you need to know where they are in the level and you need to know the quickest route to get them and then get out of that level into the next one.
4: And survive the encounter with the many 5,000% more aliens that you encounter along the yeah. way who this will is... jump out of the floor like little bastards oh they they got jump scares in this game they really got jump scares in this game I like that yeah. I think this is one of the most fun and entertaining iterations of Alien as a soul franchise in video games ignoring the AVP because some of those games were really good yeah. at least until we got to Alien Isolation which by Jingo that nailed the terror of that first movie and you know what? It's, it's nice that we can have this conversation.
0: Because whenever I talk about Alien 3 with people, they always tell me, ah, the SNES version's better. And I strongly disagree. I think the Mega Drive version is vastly superior. The, the SNES one looks lovely, but I think the Mega Drive one is vastly superior.
4: I mean, as a SNES owner, the SNES one was better. <laughs> 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 All honesty, I played the SNES version, and I loved the SNES version because I was a SNES owner. I always had that wanting to play... <laughs> The mega drive version because it was also the first it was the first one out and of course being a games master viewer i saw this feature and i'm like i want a bit of that
0: my favorite bit of watching this feature though was watching the footage in the background and there's a moment when you're playing the game and you have to slide down um slides essentially these sort of like flat bits if you go on to if you just walk onto it and slide down you always take damage but if you're a smart player. You jump onto it and slide down, take no damage, you just roll straight off and carry on running. Ah, little tip for you there got my own little games master
4: your own little <laughs> consultation zone we'll get you a nice foil hat and a monocle it'll be great
3: and finally this week's special feature these days a computer game isn't working out unless it's accompanied by a funky soundtrack so here's the top five in the games master hit parade but that's not the only feature we've got this week we've got a
4: special feature the best music in games man someone's challenge must have been running short because this is a <laughs> long review zone isn't it just and this is fluff this is Actually, I'd say a bigger piece of fluff than the Mega Drive advertising shtick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so in at number five, uh, it's the theme
0: from Peter Gunn from the Blues Brothers game.
4: Now, immediately I'm disappointed because I'm like, hang on, this was like the Hit Parade Top 5 Countdown of Video Game Music. First up, an electronic version of a real piece of music. Yeah. That's not video game music. It's also a film tie-in. Not the last we'll see in this, uh, this set, but... Yeah, I I don't think of this as video game music. When you say, pick your best video game music, if we're talking of the modern era, I'm going to look towards things like Red Dead Redemption 2, Persona 5, Persona 5, which has an amazing, fully sung, vocalised, beautiful soundtrack. If you ask me to go back to this era, I'll be looking at the Marios. I'll be looking at the Zeldas. I'll be looking at Tetris. Hey, hey, Toe Jam and Earl. We've covered this already. Toe Jam and Earl. Toe Jam and Earl. But again, their original scores designed for the games they're not let's license a piece of music or it's a movie tie-in let's use bits of the soundtrack Uh, which we get next at number four it's problematic it's smooth criminal from the moonwalker game from the mega drive okay so we get a pattern here as you said problematic let's just leave jackson aside yes it's an excellent rendition of smooth criminal it is an excellent rendition of smooth criminal it's also important to note about this game is it's one of the few times I think before Saints Row and the dubstep gun that music and dancing is an actual attack. Yeah. Because when you charge up your power enough, every enemy on the screen does the dance with you, they can't handle the funk, and they explode. Yeah. It's a great moment. So I think I as an actual music in video games, I will give this one a pass because the actual music while adapted from jackson's actual songs was at times instrumental uh mm-hmm. get nice. it? Yeah. Yeah, thanks. it doesn't have to be a dick joke <laughs> instrumental to the actual gameplay itself yeah so problems aside i will give this a pass uh and at number three uh from magic pockets betty boo's doing the do I think we've covered my love affair with magic pockets (laughs) if it it survived into (laughs) the final edit because i do go on a bit of a rant about it but you know what i love magic pockets and it was definitely a tie-in it was definitely product placement but it was also on the amiga version at least they had some samples in there and it sounded a bit above your average midi this was a proper sampler giving it some out there this was like a mod file rather than a midi file a tracker file even Mm.
0: Well, at number two, I can't believe this game has somehow managed to get into this series twice. Top Bananas back with Cold Cut Global Chaos.
4: Did they have a continuity editor on the show, or did they do this <laughs> bit before the review? Because in the review, they up upon this game quite severely. But the music did sound better than the game looked, so if we're talking purely on a musical basis, sure, sure. I'll, give, I'll give it a pass. But at number one, from
0: Zenon 2, it's Bomb the base Mega Blast. I mean, it should be number one just for that name alone,
4: really. Absolutely. It's another Bitmap Brothers game. Mm -hmm. And the thing that amazed me the most about this was as soon as it came up with number one and you heard the riff in the background, I was immediately bobbing my head going, I know this. I remember this. Oh, this deserves to be at number one. And I'm humming along. So what? just as a little bit of an extra, we're not going to do a full top five. Mm -hmm. But what is your number one piece of video game music from
0: this era? So, I mean, if I'm going to include Sonic 2 in that, it's Mystic Cave Zone from Sonic 2. Which is just an absolutely incredible bit of music.
4: See, for me, I'm going with a piece of music that is very simple. But once it's in your head, it doesn't go away. It's the main music from Bubble Bobble. Oh...
0: Yes, mate.
4: It's so addictive, that piece of music. And the thing is, now we've done that little bit, we're going to be walking home tonight and in the back of our heads. And if you're listening to this, and when you're done and you're walking away or having a cup of tea or you're sat on the loo in the back of your head,
0: my wife got massively addicted to that game. We were in when we were in Japan. We found a video game bar, and they had like these sort of mini arcade cabinets that were just on all the tables. And my wife said, "What's this one?" I was like, "Oh, that's Bubble Bobble. That's a great game." She was like, well, "What do I do?" So I showed her how to
4: play it. She got massively hooked on playing it. <laughs> it's Tetris level. It's such a simple mechanic that once you get the gist of it, you can just go. And the levels are just similar enough that you're never really caught out by anything new, but the challenge increases with each one. I had this on the Game Boy and loved it ever since. Always just thought that this was such a great game, such a simple concept. And this music, never got tired of it. Like Tetris music, yeah, it was catchy enough that it just never got too grating. We've gone way off track here. We
0: need to get back into a celebrity challenge. So let's find out what we're doing from the gamesmaster himself.
2: It's time to go to the muscle and hyperbole of the World Wrestling Federation for the second challenge. Didn't have anything like that in my day, but rather fun, isn't it? The first person to achieve a fall, um, holding your opponent's shoulders to the canvas for three seconds, for those of you who don't know, uh, wins. So flex those biceps and prepare to grapple. Yeah,
4: it's Wrestlemania Challenge for the NES
0: from the muscle and hyperbole of the World
4: Wrestling Federation. Now let's just stop a second because this isn't just a wrestling game, this is a wrestling game developed by Rare. Mm. We mentioned Goldeneye earlier. Same guys. This wasn't the only wrestling game they did. They did a, lo- they did the first couple of NES WWF games. Yeah, because they had like because
0: uh, Rare and LJN had the WWF license, because LJN were doing the toys as well.
4: Yeah, and they they did the WWF uh, Superstars for the Game Boy, which was one of my favourite Game Boy games of that original era. It's weird to see the once and future developers of GoldenEye, Perfect Dark, Banjo and Kazooie, and um, their pirate one, which I haven't played. Mm. Sea of Thieves. Yeah, Sea of Thieves. There we go. To be doing. Video game tie-ins. I mean, okay, GoldenEye was a video game tie-in, but it wasn't your standard video game no, tie-in. It, it transcended the film. It's way it... better than the film. Oh, I don't know. I I, I, the the I will agree to differ on that one. Okay. I think it's on par. I don't think it's worse. I just think they're both very good. They were new high tide marks for Bond films and new high tide marks for Bond film games. But well, what's not quite
0: as good is uh, WWF WrestleMania challenge, which I'm sure at the time would have been, oh, it's a great way to play the WWF games at home but I do not think it's hold up particularly well. Considering that, like over on the Mega Drive, you've got Royal Rumble, which I think is out either this year or the following year. And that's really, really good. And even, it shreds your fingers like anything, but it is really good.
4: And even the wrestling game that followed this on the NES, where they suddenly started to do more with people having more individual move sets and their, yeah. own, their own kind of like specific patterns of attack. This game comes at a point when in Japan, at least, we'd had the first Fire Pro wrestling game. Of course, yeah. yeah. Uh, Fire Pro Wrestling Combination Tag, which of course went the isometric route. I'm not saying that they were influenced because isometric gaming was also quite popular. We've seen a number of games already on this show that utilize that perspective, not necessarily on the challenges, but certainly on reviews and in the consultation zone. But I do find it slightly odd that there is that kind of, okay, we're going to move on from being sideways on and then suddenly we're going to go for this isometric view. And the sprite style is very similar to Fire Pro. Slightly yeah. more cartoony, but
0: yeah. Well, no one likes a grapple more than Dominic Diamond does, so he claims. Uh, and he is dribbling at the prospect of this bout. Steady, boy. <laughs> no need to be so thirsty. Good grief. Well, he's bringing out the Hertfordshire hero, Dave Kaye, or David K from Hertfordshire, obviously, weighing in at six stone. And he's going to be taking on, considerably weighing more than six stone, British wrestling legend, Kendo Nagasaki. So <laughs> I watched this episode on the plane ride back from Japan and I had the biggest smile on my face when cause I was like, God, I
4: wonder who's going to do this. And when he said it's Kendo Nagasaki, I was like, Oh, what a flashback. Now, as some of you may know, I am a wrestling fan. I have some involvement in wrestling. Mm-hmm. You are also a wrestling fan. Yes. You kind of have a job. Yes. In wrestling coverage. Indeed. So what can you tell us about Kendo Nagasaki?
0: Well, Kendo Nagasaki, uh, born in 1941, started doing the gimmick of this in 1964. Obviously, he's not from Japan. His name was Peter.
4: Peter versus
0: Kendo. Yeah, Big Ken. Big Kendo Nagasaki. Uh, so yeah, he started doing the gimmick in 1964. Worked all over the world with as well, including in Japan. Um, but made his name That's really. I know. <laughs> But really made a name for himself on British TV with World of Sports. Off against giant haystacks and big daddy is all the names that you always hear about when it comes to the british wrestling scene um he retired in 1978 came back in 81 for all-star wrestling and then retired again in 1993. so
4: not long after this Ed, but he was one of the most identifiable characters because he was this mysterious man and that kind of traveled over into his real life because he had like tattoos on the top of his head and he did some really weird mystic Well, he said, like, he released an autobiography quite recently where he talks about
0: how the character of Kendo Nagasaki is this spirit of an ancient Japanese warrior that has taken over him, and so he is embodying this Japanese warrior called Kendo Nagasaki. Okay, now is he saying this for real or is he saying this is the kayfabe reason? I'm pretty sure it's the kayfabe reason, but I think, I mean, putting in his autobiography,
4: I think he's always working us. Yeah. He's got that old school mentality. For any decidedly non-wrestling fans (laughs) listening, kayfabe is essentially the fictional world within which all the action takes place. I remember Kendo Nagasaki. uh, I remember World of Sport. I watched it with my granddad. It was a big part of Saturday Tea Times. It was this, it was the A-Team, it was the Muppet Show, all that stuff going on. And so seeing this much like you I got a big grin even though that grin was occasionally pained because this shows us where British wrestling was at this point yeah. and it was very panto villain. Oh wasn't it just especially when Lloyd comes out.
3: Now how do you fancy your chances against the man who has pasted Big Daddy in the past? Um bit confident but I'll see how it goes. Okay that's great. Now you're against Kendall, or uh, can I call you Ken? Okay. Um, how do you fancy a chance against David? He's a, a bit smaller than your average opponent. Dominic, Dominic, excuse me. I'm sorry, who, who are you? I'm Lloyd Ryan, Kendo's manager. I'm afraid he'll have to talk to me because Kendo won't speak to anybody. Okay, then one perhaps you can answer then. How do you think Kendo will rate against an opponent somewhat smaller than he's used to? Um, I think you'll beat him quite easy. If he can beat people like Giant Haystacks and Pat Roach, I think this little fellow here is going to be quite a walkover. Well, I wonder what our audience has to say about that. <laughs>
4: Because Dominic approaches Kendo and says, ah, Kendo, can I call you Ken? Which, <laughs> full credit to Kendo. He no-sold it. He just, yeah. like, even behind the mask, there was no break in the visage. And he didn't answer and then yeah. out comes his manager, back when wrestling managers were really a thing. I'm afraid you will have to talk to me. He won't answer any of your questions. He won't talk to anyone, which I assume means he communicates with his manager via semaphore, <laughs> yeah. or smoke signal, or some other way. This man's beaten giant airstacks and Pat Roach. I'm sure this little fella will be a walkover. Pat Roach. I've read the same pet's Pat Roach. <laughs> yeah. Noted actor Pat Roach did a lot. Yeah. Uh, and Indiana Jones. That's right, yeah. And to your point
0: about it being a very panto thing, Dominic Diamond, when uh, uh, Lloyd finishes his little promo, says like, oh, I don't think the crowd agree with that. Boo.
4: We were just missing a granny throwing a handbag and we would have been back in York Hall in peak world of sport or Fairfield Halls in Croydon. Yeah. Oh, I, I, I got a kick out of it. I did like it. I did as well. While I'm like, yeah, this is where we were at with British wrestling. There was also a bit of me that was like, this is this is fun. Yeah. This is... and fair credit to kendo obviously at the end of his second or third comeback this wasn't his last he came back again he was involved into the 2000s i mean he's in his 60s at this point yeah and he was still yeah he came back i think in early to mid 2000s and did another run with ldn i think so yeah yeah
3: okay well it looks like it's building up to a thrilling contest between the young contender from harperature and the fearsome grappler Kendo nagasaki if you want to see the outcome join us after the break
4: place, Vision Express, the
0: event, our New Year's sale, save 10, 30 and even
4: 50% on frames. There's thousands of frames to choose from, and remember, whatever the style, we can custom grind your lenses in about an hour. There's thousands of frames at up to 50% off at Vision Express. Vision Express, Cambridge, Northampton, and now open at Tower Amparts Ipswich Switch.
2: The Nintendo World News with Mario. We go direct to the ring side at the WWF WrestleMania Challenge. Ready, kid? Just watch me WITH the Macho Man. And here we come. Two hundred and fifty pounds of lead mean muscle. What a
0: leg drop!
2: Wow! An elbow smash and a body slam. Let's see that again. Is that the end of the Macho Man? No way. I want a rematch. This is Mario for WWF WrestleMania Challenge. Nintendo.
1: Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.
3: These are McCain oven chips. Two, three, four, Inside every bag, the chips are honed to be healthier chips. Not only are McCain oven chips prepared in sunflower oil, they contain less than half the fat of fried chips. Just 5%. So... They're a better chip. And because they're made by McCain, they taste great. McCain oven chips. They contain only 5% fat, making them healthier chips. Welcome back If you've just joined us Then we're eagerly awaiting The bout of the century Between young David Kay The Hertfordshire hero And the fearsome Kendo Nagasaki
0: Well as we come back From the ad break We've got Jazz Rignall In the booth The Jazz man Testifying once again uh, He suggested that are doing Punches and kicks As the way to wear down Your opponent before you get the pin David we find out Has picked Hulk Hogan And Dominic Diamond tells us That it's the match We've all been waiting to see Hulk Hogan Versus Kendo Nagasaki
4: I mean punching and kicking That's pretty much Hulk Hogan's move repertoire <laughs> (laughs) in the real world one thing I will say from when the games master introduced this challenge that I really liked was he gave us a technical definition of a pinfall as being (laughs) pinning your opponent's shoulders to the mat for a three count (laughs) I think some people could learn for that
0: nowadays (laughs) so yeah so they advertised this as Hogan versus Kendo but really I think Kendo's just picked the yourself character which is one of the it was like so you could be quote
4: yourself in the game Dude in red trunks, which is as close as you're going to get to Kendo in this game. Exactly. If only they'd had an anonymous, if this was Fire Pro, we'd be fine. You'd have a fully (laughs) accurate Kendo Nakazaki downloadable from Steam. All right. Well, this is a very, very
0: quick game to comment on because it is all David. All the time, and when I say all the time, there's a plenty of whiffs in there and the other. It, you said earlier it's like the the kickboxing game that we had a couple of weeks ago. Yeah,
4: but before we recorded, we were just going over the running order, and I'm like, this this challenge really gave me a feel of the kickboxing challenge where there were moves being thrown that were in the wrong direction for the player. Yeah, I do want to give a special MVP for this challenge. To Dominic Diamond because his play by play is on point. He knows the moves, he knows what's being done, he's down with it. He's more down with this than he was with the darts or the snooker. He's really on board for it. I think his love of the graps is legitimate. And
3: Hulk Hogan, oh, flying kick misses Kendall completely, though. Kendall's pacing around, he's him. Kendall tries a flying kick and he misses it. Hulk gets it, Hulk gets it, though, Hulk gets it, though. Hulk going to try and body slam. Oh my goodness me. Hulk misses completely with a flying kick. Misses with a punch as well. Slams Kendo down. He's looking to get in front. Oh, and he's got an elbow drop. One elbow drop.
0: I did like it at one point when David goes to the top rope as Hogan and he like jumps and, you know, misses because Kendo runs away.
4: And Jazz calls
0: it...
3: Yeah, that was the, uh, the old Hulk splashdown.
4: The what in the what now? <laughs> I mean, okay, you're trying to catch up with Dominic who's running away with the commentary, but... Count the times that Hogan did any top rope moves that weren't a double axe handle. <laughs> yeah. I'm waiting. Even before he became the red and yellow when he was still a heel, a bad guy, he wasn't a top rope guy. Not many people were. not taking bumps, mate. He only lays down for people when he's tired.
0: <laughs> well, he ain't laying down for Kendo Nagasaki in this match. There's just more domination by Hogan. There was one point where I got a bit worried for David because he gets he falls out the ring, essentially. And I was like,
4: oh no, do they know the buttons to get back in? David knew this game. Yeah. I and mean, he wasn't particularly great at it. He'd clearly been spending enough time in the green room working on this that he knew how to get back in the ring. Yeah, just climbs back up that rope again. And I'll give credit as well to Kendo. When they cut to the two of them playing the game. Kendo's focused. Yeah, He's not doing great, but he is trying. And I'll give him points for that.
0: In fact, I actually really like it at the end when Hogan gets the pin, Kendo throws down the pad and the big pantomime villain wear but i like, no! I'd have got away with it too if it wasn't for that pesky kid and his video game knowledge. And it is this wonderful visual of Kendo Nagasaki holding a Nintendo pad sat next to a
4: child also holding an Nintendo an pad in a church it is a brilliant brilliant visual you want to talk about surrealist films and stuff like that that's a surrealist film that's that sounds like a setup to a joke of which the punchline i can't imagine
3: david congratulations one fall in the very first round you certainly give kendo a pasting there Sure did. well i would like to offer you our congratulations and a couple of very special prizes firstly the prize that everybody wants to get their hands on, our special humongous Golden Games Master joystick. Thank yeah. you. As, and as a little extra, the official WWF Championship belt. Congratulations, David.
0: And David's very proud of himself during the post-match interview. Dominic Diamond says, you certainly
4: gave Kendo a pacing. And he just looks at and goes, sure did. Great answer. Also a rare moment here for Games Master, because not only does David win that coveted, Golden hum- Games Master joystick, humongous joystick. Humongous joystick, as you joystick were yeah. Say yes. He gets a replica WWF heavyweight title belt. Nice. Nice. Yeah. I really like that. The thing I love the most is when he got given that. You saw Kendo go. Mother. <laughs> he looks down at it and he's like, "I'm like, I get out of there, David. I'd, I'd run because I'm not sure if that's 24 seven title defence, but he will go for you for that belt." <laughs> Although
0: David doesn't know how to work because he didn't hold the belt up. <laughs>
3: Now, Mr. Ryan, what have you got to say about Kendo's defeat? I haven't got to say anything about Kendo's defeat. I think we've been conned, and we're not staying in here. We're
0: going. Um, but we get some more uh, heel work from our manager. Ryan says, that wasn't a defeat. We got cons there. It's lo- and they leave.
4: Not going to stay here and listen to this nonsense. Storms off stage, and the crowd go, boo. boo! And, and somewhere down. at home, a granny tuts.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Dominic Diamond tells us that there's no place for losers on this show. Only winners. But sometimes winners need
2: help too. Let's head on over to the Consultation Zone. Hello, Gamesmaster. Oh, I'm delighted to see you. Welcome to my kingdom. Now, are we ready? On Zelda, I can't for the life of me find the whistle in the second quest. Do you know where it is? I do indeed, young man. And locating it requires a modicum of initiative. The whistle is in the blank square in the middle of the level. To get there, you need to go through to the room directly above it and then walk down through the wall, as the wall is false. Have you got that? Yes, thanks very much.
4: There hasn't been as many dick jokes in this episode as I think a lot of previous ones, but it's also gone really smooth. Mm. Like, his linking material is just on point. Especially considering how rowdy the crowd were, they were clearly worked up by Dominic's masterful manipulation of his mighty organ. Mm.
0: <laughs> Very good. <laughs> so our first kid in the consultation zone is stuck on the Legend of Zelda, which we've had featured in the consultation zone before. Have we had it featured for a whistle before? Not a whistle, no. No, no. We had. A, he couldn't find the End uh, Guardian on a previous level. Oh yeah, that was it. But
4: this is also fairly obtuse. Oh totally, yes. Yeah. Just walk towards this wall and you walk through it. Okay. <laughs> Go to this piece of green that looks exactly like every other piece of green on the level and something different will happen. Christ knows how you're meant to complete these games. Trial and error.
0: It was Nintendo Power, that's what you need, Is uh, if you're in America anyway.
3: Hello, Games Master.
0: Now, what can
2: I do for you?
3: I keep getting killed as I run down the snow hill on the second stage of Strider. What am I doing wrong? Hmm.
2: Hmm. Let me see. If I remember correctly, the secret there is not to run at all but rather to jump as you start your descent, and keep on jumping until you approach the bottom. That should enable you to jet down the snow hill unscathed.
3: Oh, thanks very much. Bye.
0: Our second child keeps getting killed on the snow level in Strider, which is the second level, but my favourite thing about this was not just the feature in the game, which we actually get in next week's episode is one of the challenges. It's Games Master's acting in this segment, because the kid goes mm. like, I keep getting... And he's probably of like, stroking the chimney, like, hmm, Strider, eh? Let me think.
4: Strider, eh? Uh, hey, that's a name <laughs> I've not heard in a long time. Another outing for Kitty Alex, give his impressions. <laughs> but this is the second time strider has been in the consultation zone, because the first one was the jumping backwards and forwards to rise up that's the level. That's
0: right, it was,
4: yeah. It was, it was a short game, but it was a tough game, and... I can see why logically people wouldn't necessarily default to Oh, jumping is quicker than Bunning. Yeah. Because for most people in the world, it's not. But this is Strider, jumping is kind of his thing. Yeah. Str- jumping and energy sorts. That's his
0: deal. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to talking about that challenge in next week's episode because it's a boss challenge.
4: Oh, yeah. It's a good one. Yeah.
1: Hello, Games Master. In Mega Man, how'd you kill the big orange Sandman and find finding it's impossible to get past him?
2: Oh, dear. More death and destruction? At least they're all villains, I suppose. Now listen, to dispose of the big orange Sandman, you'll need to jump over his body parts as they come onto the screen. And then, when he is completely formed, use your electric gun to shoot him in the eye. Does that satisfy your destructive lust?
1: Yes, it does, thank you very much.
2: And our third kid
0: is stuck on Mega Man with the orange Sandmans at the end. I would like to, uh, Games Master saying, huh, more death and destruction. At least they're the villains. It's not the hero we want, but it's the hero we deserve. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Simple here, you just gotta wait until he's reformed, then shoot him
4: in the eye with the elect gun. It seems obvious looking at it, but unlike some of the other ones that we've had where it seems obvious, this one actually probably isn't because it's a really odd transformation pattern.
0: Yeah, and it's the Mega Man thing as well, just knowing what weapon you need to use on which boss and which order to complete the bosses in in order to then get the right weapons
4: and where to shoot him as well because well yes now with hindsight shooting him in the eye seems obvious when his entire body is transferring one block at a time from one side of the screen to the other my brain would probably go maybe I need to try and shoot the blocks as they're moving so bits of his body disintegrate one at a time there are bosses where you have to do that where you have to take out tentacles as they're reaching across or similar well it's time for our final challenge of the evening so
2: let's head on over to Games Master and find out what we're doing I thought tonight we'd go out with a flurry on Thunder Force 3. Your mission is to get to the underwater world of Siren. But just to spice things up a little, I thought we'd have a bit of a hoot and put it on the rather tricky mania mode. As well as negotiating the treacherous currents, you'll need to avoid or destroy all manner of mutant hybrids hell-bent on your destruction. Only then will you be able to take on the decidedly resilient Piscine end-of-level Guardian, the last obstacle between you and the glory. Good luck. The galaxy is depending on you. We're
0: playing Thunder Force 3 for the Mega Drive. You've got to get through the underwater world on a
2: Mania Mode.
0: And we talked about this in a previous episode. Games Master again calls the final boss the end of level
4: Guardian. I knew it was a thing. I love it. I like it. Let me talk to you a bit about Thunder Force 3, though. Oh, please do. This has got a complicated family tree. This makes some of the sh** in Game of Thrones look simple. <laughs> because this is Thunder Force 3 for the Mega Drive. Now this started off as a Mega Drive game, but it was ported back to the arcade as Thunder Force AC. Simple enough. I'm with you so far. That was then ported again to the Super Nintendo as Thunder Force Spirit. Okay. So we went Mega Drive to the Super Nintendo via way of the arcade. Nice. And then Thunder Force 3 and AC were then re-released for the Thunder Force Gold Pack on the Sega Saturn. Wow. So I'm used to arcade ports, I'm used to games being on Mega Drive and Nintendo but to have that arcade port from the Mega Drive being the anchor point between the Mega Drive and the Super Nintendo I don't think there's another game that does that Mm. not in that way well, I mean, if you can think of one, please
0: do get in touch and let us know. Uh, but this original Mega Drive version received a lot of praise when it came out. Megatech Magazine uh, praised the use of its parallax scrolling as well as its sound and gameplay. Um, uh, they placed it at 17 in their top Mega Drive games of all time. And Me Machines gave it a
4: score of 86% upon its release. On Normal difficulty, this game's not too bad. Mm. However, on Mania difficulty, the hint is in the name. <laughs> yeah. Because... Dear Lord, this game looks tough.
3: And the person about to thrust his way through all manner of underwater opposition is tonight's final contestant, Jeremy Gomez. Now, in this game, you're on the planet Siren on mania level. It's going to be pretty tough, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. How do you fancy your chances? Uh, uh, I'm not exactly confident, but I'll have you. A... Okay, because it's the toughest level that you are on. Well, Jeremy, you've got a lovely t-shirt, so I wish you all the best.
0: (laughs) Thankfully, we've got Jeremy Gomez, who is here to thrust his way through the challenge. Mm. Mm. (laughs) Uh, Gomez is a very happy child, but he doesn't have a lot to say. Not confident in front of the camera. Also, Dominic Diamond compliments his jumper and tries I might. I cannot see what's on that jumper. No, I feel like he was just saying that because he's like, I'm not getting anything else out of him.
4: The thing is, the design on the jumper did look fairly complicated. It looked like it might be band or team-related. Maybe it was the football team that Dominic supported. Dunno. Dunno. But but yeah, lost to the mysteries. I tried (laughs) freeze-framing. I tried the Zapruder film. I couldn't get the angle. You're like, (laughs) enhance. Back and to the left.
3: (laughs) And joining me for a furious thrash in the pulpit is Neil West from Sega Power. Welcome, Neil. Hi. Now, Neil, I'm not kidding this time. This is a tough game. This is very tough. Thunder Force 3 is a tough game at the best of times, but on Mania level, it's, it's almost impossible. Um, there is one tip that I would give, Jeremy, um, and that's make use of the weapons. You can pick up new ones as you go along and you get two different ones to start off with, and they are useful for different things. So just make the most of those. Okay, then. Right, so, Jeremy, you have to get to the end of the level and kill the Guardian. Neil says use your weapon wisely. Are you ready? Uh, Neil West
0: is here for a quote. Furious thrashing. Um, and Dominic Diamond, I love this one. He's like, look, I know
4: we say this a lot, but I really mean it this time. This is a tough challenge. He's not wrong. He's they do say wrong. it a lot, but this one really is. Also, Neil was splendid in his red hat before red baseball caps became an issue. <laughs> <laughs> Fire Fred Durst, right? Yeah, Fred Durst, of course. <laughs> uh, yeah, West says that it's a really tough game,
0: but on Mania mode, it's almost impossible. And he gives the very, very key objective here, Get weapons, and Dominic tells us, "Yes, use your weapon wisely." Subtle dictum, mm-hmm, exactly. And you know that Gomez is in for a tough time here when he dies straight away.
4: Oh, right off the bat, yeah. This he this is almost the equivalent of axe in the head during the uh, previous Heimdall <laughs> challenge. <laughs> it's like, well, this is either going to be a very long, painful challenge or a very short, painful challenge. Either way, pain. pain.
0: We see him again, like, this is the the third or fourth kid we've seen playing a Mega Drive pad as if it's an arcade board. As in, like, the arcade buttons, rather than holding it in your, your two hands. You have, lay it flat and use your fingers instead.
4: Now, I think we've commented on it before with the last one of maybe they were used to playing with a joystick. But then my brain went, also, maybe they're used to the um, WASD... Because even on the oh, spectrum, really, yeah, yeah. you could still play with the keyboard with the four directional buttons mm-hmm. being WASD or some variant thereof and the space bar mm-hmm. being the fire button. So maybe what we're seeing is a transition from people being used to that or a single button joystick to these strange things that have three buttons, never have more than three buttons, won't happen, no need for it, pointless. <laughs> six buttons, okay, this is ridiculous, but we'll never get more than six <laughs> buttons. Six buttons and a D-pad, that's all we need. Yeah. Oh, we'll get to those points
0: down the line, I suppose. <laughs> get to see the evolution of games throughout the 90s. Finally, he gets the weapon that he needs, but doesn't use it. And you've got Neil West almost shouting, and him, was like,
3: press the C button, and he'll be able to switch onto a different weapon, which he ought to do very soon. He's chosen not to at the moment. There he goes. Oh, he's got it, oh, and he's lost it. Already. He got it, then he lost it. He- press no,
0: the C button, use the weapon! <laughs> And then he does and dies instantaneously and loses it. Oh. oh, I felt so bad for him. The
4: thing is, is he was being shouted at Vice. They were willing him on. The crowd were behind him. The commentators were behind him. I don't think it mattered because that kid was in the zone and the zone was, ah! <laughs> well, it yeah. was pure fear because watching what was going on on the screen, it was relentless. Something I didn't realize until the post-challenge analysis is there was a current yeah. trying to push him upwards throughout the entire thing. And I'm like, that's just unfair. Yeah. And not being able to get any
0: other weapons really does hurt him here because he's like firing at some of the baddies and just not doing any damage whatsoever. Something eventually drops on him again for the umpteenth time and he dies and the
4: challenge is over. Given how impossible that game was, I don't consider this a loss. The fact that he survived as long as he did, yeah. with as much pressure as he did. Fair credit to the kid. I don't know. He deserved a nice compliment on his jumper. There we go. I don't, He doesn't deserve the joystick because he didn't win, but he deserves a nice compliment.
3: So with that exhilarating but ultimately fruitless effort, tonight's show comes to an end. Well, it's smoking jacket and steaming jasmine time. We'll see you in seven days for another Games Master.
0: Well, Dominic Diamond called it an exhilarating but ultimately fruitless effort, and he gets himself some steaming jasmine, and that will do us for this week's episode.
4: Nice return for steaming jasmine. First date must have gone well.
0: (laughs) So yeah, so what do we think of the episode? um, I I particularly like the WrestleMania thing because of the the, the ludicrous visual of Kendo Nagasaki sat there.
4: Let's be honest, as we've already touched on, that wrestling challenge was playing to our strengths. It was playing to our interests. Robocod, puns, also playing to our strengths and interests. (laughs) Tough as ball shooters. Great review section. I don't think this episode had a super standout moment. No, But I also don't think it had an actual low point. Yeah, that's fair. It was smooth. As I said earlier, Dominic Diamond, not as many dick jokes in this episode, but the entire episode just flowed nicely. And that goes for the content. The game's reviews were nice. There wasn't any particular punching down on the challengers. Even the master system, they gave it some backhanded compliments. Aliens 3, Celebrity Challenge. This challenge, which just, I don't think anyone could have won. That was literally setting up for an impossible challenge. Don't think it could have been done. But the episode was great. The crowd were hot. The crowd were into it. They played along with every single bit that they could. I actually think this may be consistency wise, one of my favorite episodes so far. It's
0: interesting because, like, as you're right, there's no real standout moment of this. There's no, like, oh man, what an amazing challenge. You've got to go out of your way to go see that challenge. But the challenges are fun to a degree. And they're like, I, you know, I, I very much enjoyed uh, James Pond. The Thunder Force 3 challenge at the end is really, really difficult. And I got a massive kick out of Alien 3 being covered as, a, as the new game. And for as kind of silly and filler as it is, There was some nice music in
4: our little top five countdown. I may not agree with its categorisation as video game music, but that doesn't mean I don't appreciate a nice bit of a chiptune, even if it's an iteration of a popular song. So what are you giving it as a score? I'm going to go with 89%. Whoa, that is big. Because obviously, when we're preparing to record these episodes, we don't just watch a show once. We watch it two, three, three, four times. At least one run through just to get a few facts and figures then i know it's commentary you know yeah. i'd love to say it's all off the top of our head but it really <laughs> isn't this is the one episode where i've not gone oh can i just skip past this bit there's been no neighbors challenge in no, this episode no or zoom not yeah zoom. Was, it, was it zoom or zoop or whatever it was the, the one with the crappy rabbit there yeah. we go that one the one that's apparently one of the worst mega Drive games of all time yeah how lack of impact was it one week on can't remember what the, what the game was <laughs> But it was nice and it was consistent, so I'm going to give it an 89% because everything clicked and everything worked. This is the sort of episode where they can look at it and go, this is what we build on for Season 2. Yeah. The balance of challenges. So I'm going to agree with you. I'm not going to give it
0: as quite a high score as you. I'm going to go actually in the 82 region. I'm going to go 82% in fact, that's what I'm decided on. Because for me it didn't have that killer challenge to push it into that high 80s, possibly into that 90s era. So I'm gonna stick with I'm gonna stick with
4: 82%. But a positive result. Positive result. absolutely. Positive result for both of us, particularly because the last couple of episodes were not that great.
0: No, absolutely not. I think really my high score
4: comes completely from Alien 3. Because I could talk about that game for hours. Alien 3, Monkey Island 2. Oh, Monkey Island 2. Yeah, there's a a lot of good in this episode and it's a safe one. It's also just a low enough amount of innuendo. You could probably watch this with your mum without it getting too uncomfortable.
0: Well, we're going to go and have a nice cup of tea. Say hello to Steaming Jasmine and we'll see you all again in seven days time. Take care. Now for that information about the Under Consultation Club. You can follow us on Twitter at UnderConsultPod, and you can send your thoughts on each episode to feedback at UnderConsultation.com. You can also follow your hosts on Twitter at this is Cohen and at Ash Versus. If you enjoyed this episode, please give us a subscribe and a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast
2: from.